Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Thank you for joining us for another Sports Corner series and JOSPT Insights. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. Maggie Bryant, who is currently the Director of Rehabilitation for the LA Clippers. She completed her DPT at the University of Minnesota and her sports residency at the University of Southern California, and she is dual board certified in orthopedics and sports physical therapy. Prior to her current role, Maggie worked for the Orlando Magic, as well as at the Mayo Clinic for Sports Medicine. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Okay, so Maggie Bryant, we are so freaking excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for taking the time out of a very busy schedule and year. Your season is very much underway. So thank you so much for being here. Of course, I'm happy to be here. You know, there's not many of us that are listening that may be working with NBA, but we really wanted to get your take on just treating how to best treat high level basketball players. So can you first start with just what are the demands of the sport? You know, basketball is it's just a it's played in a very small confinement of space. And there's a lot of players, you know, within that space. So with that, it's sudden change of direction. It's high intensity accelerations and decelerations. And I think, you know, an underrated aspect is the jumping and the landing mechanics kind of in that confined space with, you know, with multiple other players. So it's probably more of a frontal plane uh, sport than, you know, some other team sports where, you know, you look at like a soccer or American football, you know, furthermore, it's, if you look at kind of like the energy systems development of what basketballs kind of consists of is it's about, you know, especially at our level, it's about 50% time spent in that moderate to high zone for the heart rate. And then about 50% in that low to kind of recovery. So again, it, it's, there's some differences with basketball between other sports. So for basketball, average, average, you know, distance covered is around one and a half miles to three miles versus again, I know soccer is like up to six miles. And average speed this is another is another um I think key factor of basketball. It's that court size is gonna be a limiting factor in in basketball players that are reaching like the max speed. So you know, their max speeds, you know, on average is about fourteen to eighteen miles per hour, which is gonna be considerably less than some of the other sports where they really have the ability to, you know, stride for a longer period of time. And then, I think if you break it down to like, what does the game actually consist of? You have an offensive component, you have a defensive component, and then you have the transition. And, you know, offense, you're going to have those accelerations, those decelerations, some jumping, you're going to stand for a period of time. You know, the only time you're really ever going to be able to stride that court and that transition, then that's where, you know, it's considered a sprint and which I think is over 9.5 miles per hour. So, it's up there, but it's, you know, again, it's not, it's not that high, high end speed. And then you look at like a defensive possession and that's going to be some frontal plane movement, acceleration, deceleration, potentially some jumping from a rebound. And then again, transition and and just continue to repeat those. So, and I think it's probably a little bit better with other sports, but basketball is hard to really separate it per position. So there's five positions. There's a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. Even within that, though, you're going to get the Steph Curry's of the world, 
where never stops moving. He has, you know, significant off ball movement. He's, he's got the ball, he's running, he's going around picks. He's his, his in-game profile is pretty crazy in regards to his change of direction, his speeds, his distance covered, all of that compared to like more of a facilitator, facilitating point guard where they're going to pass the ball. They're going to get rid of it. They're going to, you know, kind of be a spot up three point shooter and, like a Mike Conley, for example, you know, his, again, his profile is going to look very different. You know, you look at like the center position. I think historically there was probably a little more of a traditional center was right around the basket. There's going to be a lot of contact. You know, they're not going to really go outside that, you know, five, five feet around that rim. Now you've got three, you've got centers that run the court. They're out on the three point line. They're shooting threes. They're switching on defense. So now they're guarding guards. And so, it's just so hard to delineate kind of like the physical demand per position because, again, there's just so much variation per position. So it sounds like we have a lot of quick accelerations and decelerations, 1.5 to 3-ish miles per game. But then also one of the big takeaways here is don't just assume, hey, you have a center, so they're probably not moving very much and they're just posting up under the basket. You really got to ask about what the team style of play is, what that positions, what that player's style of play is, and then actually individualize the rehab to not just the position but to the way that player actually plays the position for sure i think yeah asking him for you know a game film or not maybe not whole film but you know watching a couple possessions um you know them offensively defensively are they guarding the best player are they you know it's just there's so many intricacies that i think you can really kind of peel apart when you're when you're treating a basketball player so i think that's an important definitely important takeaway what are the, the top major injuries, the most common injuries that you're seeing as a result of these physiological demands? Uh, maybe this is broken up different uh, per position, or maybe rather we should talk about how it breaks down uh, per style of play. But what are the top three, top four that you're seeing? Yeah, so if you look at some of the data, it's, you know, I think you can break it into ankle sprains and knee sprains are going to be pretty common. You're going to have a lot of anterior compartment pathology. You know, both at the patellofemoral joint, at the you know, as well as with just anterior tendinopathy, patella or uh, quadriceps. Low back pain is pretty common. Hand and wrist from falling, and then you do have soft tissue injuries as well. People always think because you don't run at that top end speed that you're not going to really get a hamstring injury, but the hamstrings are extremely involved in change of direction as well. So those are relatively common. And again, so are calf and and groin from a frontal plane standpoint. So those are probably the three biggest soft tissue. And then, you know, the sprains and the anterior knee and and the rest of it. So are those happening more um, acutely? I mean, like ankle sprain is one thing, right? Like that's just a lot of big bodies in a little spot. (laughs) And you're coming down on something every once in a while, right? And with all like the change of direction, you're just increasing the likelihood of of that acute knee sprain and ankle sprain. But for the soft tissue stuff, is it, do you find more just like chronic tendinopathy stuff or more acute strain? I think both. There's definitely a component of overuse where you are going to get, you know, the tendinopathy, you're going to get the anterior knee pain. I mean, for us, at least, we have 82 game exposures in six months. So we play anywhere from five to seven or three to five games a week. You could have, you know, two back to backs in a week. You know, you add that with the travel component and the lack of sleep and and all of it, then you do de- you definitely get some, you know, bone stress injury or, or the common the common overuse, the, the bone stress, the tendinopathy, the anterior knee pain, the low back. I'd say soft tissue is a combination. It's probably you know, a combination of 
maybe the, the previous week or, or nine day load. And then, you know, an acute for calf, for example, like that false step maneuver where there's that high centric demand on a tissue that might already be at its max capacity. So it's kind of a combination of it's an acute injury, but there's probably a chronic component to it. So I think you get both for sure. So with that, with a, both, you have the acute, the, the ones that are harder to really prevent against, but then you also have the overuse issues. Are there prehab interventions, things that you work on with players either during the off season or also possibly even during season as well to try to counteract some of these common injuries that you see? Again, we have a pretty robust schedule. And if you're not ready for it, you know, physically and you don't have the capacity, then that's when those injuries occur. And it's tough because at our level, at least, and a lot, probably for a lot of people in clinic too, where they might not have the ability to build that, that like if a player goes away for the off season, or if you're getting a player in clinic, you might not have the ability to really build that base, but that's our goal is, you know, when guys are in town or even when guys aren't in town, trying to really improve the conditioning and the, and the capacity at, you know, the, of the soft tissue level at the local joints, you know, pretty much mainly lower extremity. Obviously we, you know, pay attention to the upper extremity too, but, but definitely from a lower extremity standpoint, we'll blend in like a kind of a corrective or a tissue hygiene program where, you know, they do almost every day in season, you know, prior to activity. And, and it's, it's pretty individualized based on their medical history, based on, you know, what their like playing load is. I think that's a big factor too. Cause again, it's, it's tough when, you know, if you do play five games in a week, you might not have many practices. And so it's hard to really build training. You know, it's hard to build like a really big training load in season. So hopefully you have the ability to build that in the off season and then try to maintain and continue to kind of microdose throughout the year too. So there are some challenges, but it's, Again, with with the schedule, you gotta you just gotta try to build as much capacity as you can because it's a it's a pretty brueling schedule. So in order to build capacity, which is the key to preventing a lot of that soft tissue stuff, you're just kind of like working backwards from like what they need to be able to do, which is a gnarly season, and just trying to build up that load, taking just overall cardiovascular, tendon health, muscle. I really enjoy the the term tissue hygiene. Never have I ever heard that. Now I love it. I'm gonna use it all the time. Yeah, that all the time. Thanks for the insider scoop. But like, so like thinking about like, you know, joint load, impact, like bone, muscle, like you're just, you're just trying to work backwards from what they need in the season, all of that working backwards for like, okay, starting as soon as the season's done, what you can start working on in that capacity. Is that, did I sum that up? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, going further, like if you kind of break it down by injury. So if you look at like a joint sprain, a lot of those again are going to happen in a really chaotic environment with a confined space, multiple players around, there's a cognitive component. You're oftentimes like reaching for a ball and you have to land on a single leg. These guys, why they're so talented of athletes, especially in this, this sport is if you look at like them as athletes, their anthropometrics are crazy. Their, their wingspans, their height, their long lever arms, their they're pretty lean. They tend to be pretty lean athletes relative to most. And so their ability to really control the landing again with some of that, you know, chaos is extremely important. And so we work on a lot of single leg control. We do a lot of single, like a lot of unilateral, you know, exercises in the weight room as you know, their training, but also, you know, with some of their tissue hygiene, um, we'll, we'll focus on that unilateral component, but again, try to get as much stability as you can. It's again, it's going to be hard to prevent all ankle sprains from occurring, but 
if you can try to build as much of that neuromuscular control and that single, single leg stability, that's, that's important from that aspect. And then I think if you look at some of the anterior compartment and really just look at it as a kinetic chain, we try to preseason at the end of the season, throughout the season, really get a baseline on that athlete of like what their makeup is, what their past medical history is, what their, you know, so again, you have, say you have anterior knee pain. Obviously, it's a it's a whole kinetic chain. Like, how are they working distally, proximally? Do they have the rotational profile of their hip? Do they have the ankle dorsiflexion? A lot of these guys, especially in basketball players, have pretty flat feet, have, you know, restricted dorsiflexion because they're so elastic. And that helps them be great at their sport. But it tends to lead to some overload at the knee and at the, you know, at, at various joints. And so it's uh you know trying to figure out kind of what their limitations are again above and below the joint and you know local at the joint like what strength deficits they have or or capacity they have so we try to track that pretty closely throughout the season and then yeah in the off season work backwards from you know how many like in the in the off season we try to build you know an on court kind of program of like a load management program and it's funny, people always think load management's like restricting players from load, but it's actually, I kind of view it as opposite of, all right, we're in the off season. We're three weeks before training camp. We try to get guys to do, all right, we want to do a back-to-back five-on-five game for X minutes. We want you to hit your max speed sprinting. So we're going to add some supplemental running at the end. We're going to get your tendon health pre or post activity. We're going to, you know, and it's, we really build out this program in the off season to, to build them for what they're about to endure in training camp and in the season. And then in season, again, if, if a guy goes down, number one, you try not to lose any of the capacity, you, you know, you're conditioning day one, you're, you're doing, you know, like there's injuries that we've had recently that you day one, again, the guys are rehabbing, they're working on the opposite leg strength or their opposite limb strength. They're working on their upper or lower body, whatever the unaffected area they're doing, you know, off foot conditioning. They're still doing form shooting. They're, you know, still reviewing film. Like they're getting all the components that are needed. So when they do come back, there's not that acute spike. And I think that again, that like overload, you know, whether it's early in the season, if they didn't have a enough of a you know, robust off season, or if it's post injury, or if it's just random times throughout the year, I think that leads to some of the anterior knee pain that leads to the low back pain that leads to some of those injuries. So, and the soft tissue injuries for sure. So yeah, we try to, we just try to get them pretty much again, we track everything. We try to get them to be as, you know, resilient as they can be and find areas that we can continue to improve. All right. So Maggie, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a listener who's you know maybe in a typical sports orthopedic outpatient clinic they have a basketball player let's say let's just give them a generic lower extremity uh they have anterior knee pain ankle sprain something like that and let's assume that they're pretty far through the rehab process so you know their range of motion is back their strength is looking relatively good and 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 this person doesn't have access to force plates or you know fancy equipment and things like that if you were in that person's shoes and you want to try to return this this patient to basketball, what what are you looking for? What do you want to make sure that this person can do so that you can say, okay, you know, I think this person's ready to go back? I'm not very uh, privy to a lot of this because, again, I don't have to use them necessarily. But I know there are like apps where you can still kind of get a measure of some sort of jump capacity, both qualitative and quantitative. And I think that's one really important factor that I would really encourage anyone before they get a basketball player back is – 
especially if it's a lower extremity injury, like how are they bilaterally? How are they unilaterally? Again, try to quantify it as much as possible, but also just from a qualitative standpoint, are do they have the stability and control to again tolerate, you know, high, hard positions in the in the paint or against an opponent? You know, what what's their level of strength? You know, th- there are some normative values. It's it's tough because, you know, a lot of it's going to be like on an isokinetic machine or in a, you know, isometrically. But with the dynamometry, with dynamometry, you can you can still get a pretty good gauge on kind of where their strengths at and then, you know, compare it to some of the norms. They don't have a ton of normative value in basketball specifically, but, you know, you can extrapolate a little bit. You know, hopefully they've passed all the clinical, just normative clinical, like the range is pretty symmetric. But again, I'd I'd say just looking bigger picture at their ability to, you know, have repeated exposures to maybe it's contact, maybe it's reactive components, maybe it's actually live play before they return. And, And can they tolerate it without having a setback? Can they tolerate it on multiple exposures? from a duration standpoint, from an intensity standpoint. And even if you don't have the ability to track max speed, still getting them to do some, you know, depending on the injury, some level of, you know, sprinting uh, in rehab, I think is a good, you know, box to check as well. Yeah, I like that. Like trying to get the repeated exposures. Like, okay, so like you being able to like jump and land like five times is one thing, but like, can you do that? Like the amount of times you would do that in a game, which is a lot more than five is going to be a really important thing to consider. Okay, so you've hit on some awesome stuff just in basketball in general, but then also kind of how, why and how high level stands out. I mean, like game exposures, individuality of it, which is probably going to like differ from maybe like just like a chill high school or like rec basketball, right? The travel components, um, how much stuff you guys can measure and test and all of that. And the fact that you have them for a year to be able to build all that capacity is pretty unique and pretty awesome. So is there anything else key things to keep in mind during their rehab to make sure that they're getting the best care possible? Something that I probably didn't really, really take a great appreciation for before getting into this level was the importance of the foot and ankle from both a stability and mobility standpoint. Mm. You know, there's so much curved running and there's so much just change of direction in the frontal plane that you just need, you need a lot of again, both mobility and stability to be able to do that and to have your, you know, foot be able to conform to the ground and and allow, because I think there's so many issues that start there. And then a lot of the joints proximally, again, take some, like people, knee pain is so common in basketball. And we just look at the, you know, a lot of times you look at the knee, all right, they have anterior knee pain, let's strengthen their quad. And that's hundred percent the right way to, you know, go to, but looking again, looking outside and potentially distally at the joint. And they wear these huge basketball shoes too. And so like digging into the shoe a little bit, because a lot of these guys will will mess around with some of their shoes. And so I know like if you have a, if you're a PT in a clinic and a player comes in, have them bring his shoes, have them, have him, you know, go without shoes, have him go with shoes, see, you know, see if there's differences there, see if that could be something you could change because they live in those shoes. So if, again, if there's limitations from that standpoint, then you know, potentially they're just compensating above. And then I would just try to isolate because these players are so elastic and that's a huge part of why they're so talented in the sport because they can jump out of the house. But a lot of them can't even do like single leg calf raise. They can't even do single leg squat. They can't do... So some of the muscular components I think are... You can really maximize a lot of players by getting them stronger unilaterally, getting them stronger in you know, various angles unilaterally where foot, you know, foot and ankle or calf strength in that max dorsiflexion position where, you know, with an eccentric load, like 
that's a common, common position that they're in. So I think just getting him really, really strong and in all planes and all movements and is important because they're actually surprisingly not weak, but I'm probably going to get yelled at for saying that, but they could, they could gain strength. They're not known for being like real big warriors in the weight room. So (laughs) I think you're going to help an athlete basketball player by getting him stronger. (laughs) No, that's an important thing to remember. Like that they're very good at their sport because they're elastic. They didn't really have to typically, you don't typically have to work at that. That's like a little bit of that's the nature of it, right? So they have to work at the at the strength part of it. And that's our job is to point that out. And just because they are a phenomenal athlete, don't assume that they can't benefit from getting stronger. Like, at every yeah. level. At every level. Totally. So, and totally. Again, having a, a basketball player single leg jump squat is pretty or single leg counter movement is pretty uh telltale. So as a clinician in a clinic, I don't care if you're working with a eighth grade athlete or a professional basketball player, you're probably going to see pretty similar mechanics. And so I think you really like you, you stick to the foundation, you know, the fundamentals, you're going to be able to create some positive change. So I'd say just start there. That was beautiful. Okay. I think honestly, truly like taking a good look at that photo angle, that's a really hot tip. And also just really taking into consideration, don't just assume because they're high level that they are high level at all of the aspects that we look at. Yeah. That's really, that's really good. Absolutely. Maggie, really, we really appreciate you so much for coming on and taking the time uh, during season to go into high level basketball athletes. Uh, So thank you so much. No, this is great. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun. Once again, we want to thank Dr. Maggie Bryant from the LA Clippers for joining us. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Mm